0: So this week on the podcast, I have on Tanner Leeton from Eberle Stock. So Tanner is Glenn Eberly's right-hand man and has been at Eberle Stock for a bit now. He's a super passionate outdoorsman and knows those products inside and out. So today on the podcast, we talk about uh, some packs. We talk about the new Vapor series, uh, some of their existing packs that I enjoy. And then we also talk about Tanner's uh, recent elk hunt. This past season, he harvested his absolute best bull to date, this big, dark-horned, heavy six-point, and he tells a story about it, um, which is a great story about this bull and about his hunting, uh, but he, he hunts different type of terrain than I hunt. He hunts heavily timbered, covered country, and so he's got great tips and tactics that have helped him be successful in this type of terrain. And, and I think it's just a great conversation for the podcast. So thanks to Tanner for being on the podcast and thanks to Everly Stock for their support. Uh, they've been a supporter of Eastman's Elevated since, since the beginning, really. Um, they just build great durable packs. They pack the weight really well. And you'll hear us talk about them today in the podcast. And we talk a lot about this new Vapor series that is coming out. And so uh, this is a new pack I'm super excited about. So... This will go on the the main frame, and they're uh, ultralight bags, and they they make a a 2,500 cubic inch, a 5,000 cubic inch, and a 7,500 cubic inch. Uh, The pack will separate from the frame to create a meat shelf to be able to cinch meat in between that, uh, which is a great feature. Uh, It's just a a great product, and I can't wait to get my hands on them, and I really enjoy, you know, all of Everly Stocks packs. I... I use their little big top. I use their kite as a day pack. Uh, I use their um, their destroyer uh, quite a bit on my expedition hunts, and they just always held up and uh, packed the weight right for me. And I'm just super impressed, and I can't wait to get my hands on these new packs. So, uh, really appreciate the support at Everly Stock. Over at Eastman's, we've been working hard getting out these magazines, these MRS sections, uh, trying to get out information on tag draws it's an exciting time of year where I play with all the possibilities of these hunts and and adventures that I'm going to go on for the next season. And so, uh, diving into the research, uh, still getting all my training in and all my shooting and getting ready for these spring seasons, spring bear, uh, really like to put together that odd ad hunt this spring. And, and, uh, I'd also like to make a trip out to Hawaii here. So we'll see what I can put together with, uh, Uh, restrictions and uh, with buddies schedules but um, super excited for spring and and super excited for the 2021 season Uh, it's just fun living this um living this bow hunting lifestyle I just absolutely love it so it's all good around here Montana's getting cold it's like negative 20 today so uh, gets a little bit tougher to get my runs in. I think yesterday I did a ski and well, I know I did, I did a ski instead of a run. Um, so that was a good, uh, cross training for me. We finally have some snow. So our rivers are going to run this year. Um, which is a good thing. If you guys are interested in, uh, rivers or in fly fishing, make sure to check out my other podcast, uh, Eastman's fly cast, um, where we talk in depth fly fishing information and adventure. Uh, I've really been having a lot of fun doing that. And, um, Yeah, check out everything we have going on at Eastman's, the magazines, uh, TV show, uh, things of that nature. So um, appreciate the support from from Eastman's and um – man, well, uh, I'm, I'm going to get another solo podcast out, uh, got to do a recap over, uh, my, my latest desert hunt and, um, just kind of talk about where I'm at in my training and, and, and where I'm at in my, my process of picking these units and, um, just some good insight that I've gathered, gathered from the year. So I got to get back on the horse and, and, um, getting, uh, Uh, these solo podcasts out regular to you guys, at least one a month, um, as I think I can put together some good information. So uh, look for one of those coming later this week. But uh, for now, let's get into this podcast. So it's a great conversation. Uh, It's Tanner Leeton from Everly Stock Outdoors. Uh, I'm Brian Barney, your host, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Okay, I'm live here. I've got Tanner Leeton from Eberly Stock. Um, Tanner, good to connect with you, man.
1: You too, Brian. It's been a while since we ran into each other, so it's nice to catch up here on the podcast.
0: Yeah, man, you guys have been killing it over there at Eberly Stock. Um, Man, I've I've seen um, uh, these new packs that are coming out, these Vapor Series. I'm super excited about these packs. So uh, those are going to go on the mainframe. I haven't got one in my hands yet, but, man, it seems like a game changer to me.
1: Yeah, they're pretty cool. I mean, we, uh, we've been working on those for about a year now. Um, I know we had sent one of the larger samples over to you guys and I think Scott and Brandon, even Ike played with it a little bit, but basically it's a, it's a more of a duffel style bag. There's going to be three different sizes. And there's a 2500, a 5000 and a, 5, a 7500 cubic inch pack. Um, and they're all designed to work with either the mainframe or the carrier frame. Um, so you can zip them on or they'll have the straps that buckle directly into the frame as well. Um, so you can expand, expand, that pack away from the frame and pack, um, gain between the frame and the pack or add a dry bag or something like that if you need to expand the capacity of it. But the 2,500 comes in at a little over a pound and a half. The 5,000, um, is just under two pounds and then the 7,500 is just over two pounds. So if you combine that with the mainframe, I mean, even the 7,500, you're going to be looking at about six and a half to seven pound pack empty weight.
0: Dude, it's so killer. Like, um, well, they hook to that mainframe, which is such a good stable platform. Like it carries the weight so well, good lifts, great waist belt. And so to be able to interchange those bags, like you say, the 2500, the 5000, and and then also the 7500, that's a game changer. It's like having three packs in one. So you can set yourself up for a day hunt or, uh, uh, like a, like a smaller overnight trip, three to five days or a big, long expedition-style hunt, all with the same pack, and it all goes on that same frame. And, like you say, yeah. like the the meat carrier now, to be able to put that meat in between the bag and that frame and cinch it down, man, it's a game-changer. What a great move for you guys.
1: Yeah, it's going to be really cool. I mean, the nice thing is is when you put those – I mean, I could put a mainframe on you, blindfold you, and put a 2,500 or a 5,000 on it or a 7,500 on it, and anything but the weight, you're not going to really notice. Um, you're not going to be able to tell what pack is on there. Obviously, the 7500, you can put a lot more weight in and have a lot larger pack if you're going for ten days. Um, but you'll have that same base frame, so you'll get used to what you like and have it adjusted one time, and then you can just swap out the packs to fit whatever you're doing for that specific hunt or trip or whatever.
0: Man, how cool! So. So Tanner, um Tanner and I met a couple of years ago over at the Everly Stock headquarters. And so Tanner, you've worked for Everly Stock for quite a while and um second in command behind uh behind Glenn, right?
1: Yep, yep. I've been here for about eight years and it's been uh, it's been a pretty cool ride. I mean I was working for a company called Air um before that, which is a whitewater rafting company out of uh, Meridian. Um and I basically heard about the job through my wife, um, who's a cosmetologist, and she was doing the owner's wife's hair at the time, and she kind of mentioned that she might be looking for, or they might be looking for another employee, and um, gave Glenn my phone number, and he and I talked for a few days, and I came down here and met him a couple times, and after that, we, uh, I just started right after our wedding, actually. Um, So it was like two days after our wedding, I started here, so it's easy date for me to remember when, my, when I started here. Um, but it's been really interesting. When I started, I was the sixth employee here, and then through the years, we've hired, and other people have moved on to different stuff. And um, up until about a year ago or two years ago, we had eight employees. Um, and then this last year, 2020, we've hired an additional six um, just to keep going with everything keep up with the demand um, so it's been crazy this year with covid and um, everybody canceling their vacations and moving more into the outdoors it's it's just been a really interesting year and we were doing a lot more stuff with our marketing at the beginning of 2020 and uh, a lot more stuff on social media and marketing out to people and then when covid hit it was just this flood of orders that started coming in and like i said we've been trying to keep up hiring new guys and done a pretty good job but we're working on uh, adjusting our uh, production schedule and doing that to keep up with the demand because we've grown a
0: lot this last year so dude so cool to see the growth at the growth at Everly stock and then yeah I've seen uh, so much more come out of the the marketing too in the the past couple years and you guys have really made a a, a push in the industry which I think is great well you've been building such good packs for so many years and uh, have such a great name it's just good to see you market that and get some more exposure uh but what I like is like Everly stock uh I really enjoy talking to all you guys in there but you know glenn's done a really good job well glenn and you have done a good job of hiring guys that enjoy the same things that we enjoy so um you're such an avid hunter an avid bow hunter man you took that really good bull this year congratulations on that one
1: yeah thanks yeah it was a it was a pretty cool experience i mean i've never been a a trophy hunter before and or i'm still not a trophy hunter i guess i would say i'm more of a meat hunter but um This year was an interesting year when it came to hunting. I mean, um, I guess I'll go back to last year to kind of start the story, but um, we've had I've been hunting the same area for about eight years now, and one of the guys that got us to start hunting that area was a good friend of my brother-in-law, and they went to post together and um, just became good friends through there and hunting together and doing that kind of stuff. So he started getting us to come out and hunt with him and In 2019, he actually passed away um, at the beginning of that year. So, 2019 was an interesting year hunting. Uh, The four main guys that had been in that hunting camp for years were missing the one guy. And um, it was just a weird year without him there. Um, And we didn't have any luck that year. And I kind of went into this year with the... Uh, goal just to kind of prove to him that we could kind of do it without him he was the he was the guy that really led our hunting camp he showed us how to hunt that area and, um, he was always the guy that had success every year out there I mean, he killed a bull every year um, no matter what was going on and like I said about 2019 we didn't kill any elk over there um, so this year was a new year that we'd had a year to kind of deal with that and regroup and we actually killed two um pretty decent bulls this year um the first bull we killed was my buddy ryan um we were actually hunting this one area and the elk were not talking to us very much for whatever reason and over there it's so thick that you can't sit up on a ridge and glass and see them um so we most of the time we'll go into an area and call a little bit and see if we can get something to answer us and if they're interested try to call them in and they're not interested try to keep them talking and sneak in on them so we went into this one area started hunting in there and i spotted this bull about 60 yards through the trees and he was raking this um it was actually kind of funny because i watched him for a little bit and i'm like what is he doing over there but there was this like 10 foot long tree that had fallen over and he was pushing it back and forth like raking it but he Push it one way and then he'd step out of the side of that tree and whip back the other way. He'd <laughs> get on the other side of it and push it the other way and step out of the way and it'd whip back the other way. And he was just sitting there doing that. And I'm like, oh, this is perfect. I can sneak right in on him. Well, between him and me was uh, a big open meadow. And I thought, well, every time he turns his back to me, I'll just take a couple steps and get closer to him. And so I finally worked my way across this meadow. And I'm only about 20 yards from this bull, and he's on the other side of these really thick jack pines. And I couldn't find a lane to shoot through, so I'm just kind of walking along the edge of these jack pines. Every time he turns his back to me, and I finally see this hole, and I'm like, all right, if I take two more steps, I'm going to have this hole where I get a good shot for him. And he was a decent five point. He wasn't anything monster. Um, But I'm about ready to take my last step. All of a sudden, I just hear this arrow flying through the woods. And I'm like, oh, wow. what the heck? And it smashes a tree right in front of this bull. And I see the arrow explode. And the bull kind of trots off. He didn't really know what happened. And I'm just like, what the heck just happened? And I look over to my left. And I'm kind of looking around. And I see my buddy. And he had snuck up on my left side. Didn't know I was there because it's so thick. Saw this bull raking that tree and thought he had a good window to shoot through. And Obviously, it didn't work out for him in that situation, but right after he shot, another bull comes running out uh, to his left, and he knew he had missed miss that bull. I mean, he saw his arrow blow up, and if you've ever shot a tree, I mean, you can you know what it sounds like. <laughs> so, this other bull comes running out to his left, and he knocks another arrow and shoots this bull and drops it right there. And so I walk over to him, and he's like, I got one. And I'm like, no, you, you didn't. Like, you <laughs> that I saw your arrow blow up. And he's like, no, no, I, I shot this one over here. And we're like arguing back and forth trying to figure out what happened. And finally, I'm like, wait, how many arrows did you shoot? And he's like, oh, well, I shot this one over here. hit that tree. My arrow blew up. And then this one ran out. And I shot that one. And I'm like, oh, OK. So we got that all figured out. Got that bull cleaned up and packed out. And that was Wednesday night. Um, and so Thursday morning, we're, uh, we were going to leave on Friday afternoon. And so Thursday morning, we hunted and didn't have much luck. And Thursday night, we go to, back over into this other area. And uh, we heard this bull bugling, and he was probably three or 400 yards away. Um, he was way down in the bottom of this area. We'd hunted elk in there a lot, and uh, I had a pretty good idea of what he was going to do down there because he wasn't—he wasn't coming towards us. And a lot of times in that area, um, especially the bigger bulls, if they hear you Google in or call them in there, especially if you start to get close, they'll gather up those cows and just try to push those cows away from me because they don't—they don't, they don't want to have to fight or do anything else. They've already got their ladies with them. They're just happy. It know? Makes sense. Uh, so my brother-in-law was calling and he was bugling and that bull would answer him, but you could kind of tell that he was annoyed that we were there. Um, so I just took off running and I ran down, um, down this bottom and got to where I thought I'd be in front of him. And uh, I got to the spot knocked an arrow, and I looked up, and right as I looked up, I see this cow and this calf walking right towards me, and I'm like, oh, perfect. Um, it was kind of a cool little spot where they happened to come out. I mean, there was a pretty open area right there, and I had a shooting lane out to about 50 yards in the wide open, which just does not happen over there because it's so thick most of the time, and uh, I'm like, oh, this is perfect, and this cow walks out, and she walks right up behind this big mound that's in the middle of this opening. And so I can see her whole body. I can't see her head. Well, I couldn't see her whole body. I could see basically the back half of her. Um, And so I draw back on her, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to fill the freezer. And uh, I'm just at full draw waiting for her to step out. And I hear something over to my right and look over, and all I see is antlers coming through the trees. And I'm like, holy crap that might be the biggest bull I've ever seen in this area. And uh, he comes walking down and right as he gets to the opening, he turns to his right and he starts to walk out past um, the trees. And I'm like, oh crap, he's going to walk out past my shooting land. I'm not going to have a shot. And so I turn my attention back to the cow. and like, this is our second to last day. This is going to be the best chance I have. So I'm just going to fill my tag here and, get some meat in the freezer and uh i'm watching this cow waiting for her to step out and all of a sudden i just see these antlers walking right up behind her and i'm like oh my gosh and uh he walks out and he pokes her right in the butt with one of his brow tines and as soon as he does that she jumps and starts running across this meadow and as soon as she starts running he starts chasing her and as soon as he stepped into the opening i just cow called and let an arrow fly and he stopped right when I cow called and I saw my arrow bury into him and I had guessed him for about thirty yards. It happened so fast I didn't have time to pull my rangefinder out or anything. And I guessed it right at about thirty yards and when I hit him, um it was a little bit low. I mean low enough that it's like, okay, well that hit him right in the heart. Probably too low low to hit lungs. Um but but he's not going anywhere and i saw my arrow bury all the way up to the fletching so i knew it was a good shot um and this is i don't know like eight o'clock during that time of year it's not getting dark over here till nine and uh so i get my brother-in-law to come over to me and my dad was there with us as well and uh get them to come over and I heard a bunch of crashing down to my left. So I'm like, I'm pretty sure he tipped over right down here. Um, So we go looking around, start looking for blood. And I mean, I I was, I was, I would say I was 100% sure sure of my shot at the time. Um, And then uh, we are not finding blood anywhere. I'm thinking, man, that arrow was low enough that he wouldn't have been bleeding inside. That should have been all coming out. Um, And we look around for an hour until it gets pitch black and then we're just walking around with headlamps trying to find blood, trying to find a body laying there and can't find anything. And finally I'm like, man, we got to get out of here. Um, if he's not dead, I don't want to bump him in the dark. And so we packed up and headed out of there and let him sit overnight. And in that area where we hunt, there's a lot of grizzly bears over there and wolves and all that stuff. So it was it was a very restless night of sleep i can tell you that much and then you start doubting yourself about the shot and what happened and trying to tell everybody what kind of bowl he was and you can tell that everyone's like oh man that's awesome but at the same time they're kind of wondering in the back of their head how good of a shot it was or how nice of a bowl he was and i'm like man, we just have to find this bowl um and so the next morning we kind of Slept in a little bit, um, just because I was like, there's no point in going in there when it's dark, um, so we'll let it get light. And so most mornings over there, we're getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning and trying to hike in and get something to talk a little bit, just so we have something located when it does get light. Um, and So we hiked in there and uh, started looking around, and um, looked around for about a half an hour, and I finally found one little drop of blood on the stick. And I don't even know how I found it. I mean, it was just lucky. I mean, I had to be just standing in the right spot and look down at the right time. And it was probably about 50 yards from where I shot him. Mm-hmm. Um, and not the direction I had thought he went. Um, I thought he went off to my left and he had went basically straight away from me. Um, and so we're looking around for half an hour. I finally found that drop of blood. And so I we call my brother-in-law and my dad over and show him the blood and look around for another half an hour, and my brother-in-law finally spots another drop of blood. So now at least we had a direction of which way he was headed. Um, and we keep following that and finally start to find good blood all the way along. And we tracked him for, I don't know, probably was three, 400 yards. It was a little farther than I thought it was going to be um, after I saw the shot what I thought was the shot and finally come around the corner and there he is laying there um, and my arrow was probably mm, six inches farther back than I thought it was so I don't know exactly what it hit because I actually never opened up the cavity I just did the ghost method on him um, <laughs> and I couldn't get my arrow out of my, uh the broadhead I think, buried into his rib on the other side and I could not So I ended up just unscrewing it and taking it out. But um, we uh, got him taken care of, got him packed out, and then we headed home. So it was a pretty quick trip. And then I found out on the way home from one of the local guys that we had been hunting with a little bit over there. He had been hunting in that same area. And he goes, yeah, I found your carcass. And uh, there was a grizzly bear sitting on it. And I'm like, oh, what time was that? He was like, oh, it was about, I think he said it was about noon when the grizzly bear was sitting on it, and I think we left there at about
0: 10.30. Oh, <laughs> that's sketch, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, man. uh, Dude, how cool. Well, what a, a great story about the guy you used to hunt it with, too, and sorry to hear about his passing, and how good he was at hunting that country, and sharing knowledge with you guys as being part of his hunting camp. And then, um, you know, you guys got blanked, but decided to go back there and, um, just using that knowledge. Like it's different hunting that, that heavily covered area, isn't it? It's not like the, the spot and stock or open terrain elk hunting, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, that area that I actually shot that bull in this year, I mean, that's probably one of the few areas that you'll have much more than a 40 yard shot. A clear shot in. I mean, I think most of the shots you're gonna take over there is about 40 yards, and that's whether it's with a rifle or a bow. I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna spot the elk from miles away and try to sneak in on them. You gotta. It makes it really tough when they're not talking because you're not gonna find them very easily in that country without them at least giving you a little bit of hint where
0: they are. Yeah, that talking helps so much, like just making noise, and not that you got to call every bull in because you guys didn't, like the bull your buddy shot or the bull you almost shot and your buddy missed. Like you use that opportunity of him raking a tree to get in, but you're right, those vocalizations, they kind of tell you where the elk are, and then you can try to sneak into that spot and try to see them, try to find them, try to get on them. But yeah, when they're not talking in that thick cover, that makes it tough. Yeah, for sure. It's
1: it's interesting because, like, I watched our buddy years where he would just take off running through the woods when a bull was bugling at him, and I'm like, you're only 100 yards away from this bull when he bugles, and as soon as that bull would bugle, he would take off running straight at him. And one time I stopped and asked, what are you doing? And he's like, well, when they're bugling, they're not really looking that much. He goes, as soon as they stop bugling, they're looking around to see what's going on, but you cover a lot of ground in those few seconds when they're actually viewing and try to close that gap. So I started doing that a couple years ago, trying to get close, and there was a few bulls that I came running right up on, and we both didn't know where each other were at, and all of a sudden I come around the corner, and there's a bull standing there 10 yards away, and you're like, oh, crap, and he's like, oh, crap, and just blows up that fast, but I've learned over there that, it's a lot better to be more aggressive than – um, I can't think of the word um, – aggressive than
0: – Yeah, be passive. Yeah, totally. Makes sense, man. So, yeah, and elk are meant to be hunted aggressively too. I truly believe that, whether it's open or cover or whatever it is. Um, it's just so cool that you've built this skill set around that place and around your experiences in there uh, to to be proficient in there, and then to kill such a good bull. man. That's awesome. I um, the story's killer. I I just love how the story doesn't end at the shot. Like it's it's one of those parts that. Us bow hunters, you know, we don't talk about very often, but, but yeah, I mean, a lot of times you hit them double lung and you watch them tip over, or you've got this great blood trail, but the, the other side of the coin is making a good shot and um, that it seemed elk are so tough to start with. So you've got to put one in the vitals to kill them, but there's this shot that you're talking about that's low and back where it goes under the lungs. It hits the liver, but it doesn't hit like all the, the arteries and vessels and everything that feeds that liver, because if you center that liver, center a body, they die pretty quick. But there's this shot that's like low and back, like in that liver area, that takes those bowls a while to die. And plus, it makes sense after you found that bowl that he didn't have an exit; it buried into the offside rib, so you didn't get the exit hole. You only had the entrance hole. But that that low and back shot, man, I made a shot once on a bowl that I actually, my arrow went in exactly where I was aiming, right behind the shoulder, maybe a third up from the body, but it came out low and back on that elk. And um, I ended up leaving him overnight in the blood trail, trying to make sense of it the next day and trying to follow it was really tough. And that's where you guys did a good job, a CSI in that, that scene of where you shot that bull. And a lot of times... At night, you just don't see the blood as good as you do in the daylight. So it was smart that you guys gave in that that last night and came back the next morning with fresh eyes. But it seems like after you lose the blood and you start gritting around, your chances go way down of finding that animal. Your best chance to find that animal is to find that blood trail, which gives you a direction, which will ultimately lead to that bull. But I shot one that I hit perfect and came out low and back. And um, left him overnight, and came back the next morning and found that bull still alive, like two, three hundred yards from where I'd shot him, and it had to put another arrow in him uh, the next day. And it was like this: it wasn't guts; it was like that low and back shot that you're talking about. But uh, good on you guys, like not giving up, going back to blood, and, and just keeping with that blood trail because ultimately it leads to that bull. Um, man, what what an awesome accomplishment!
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's a, uh, it's so funny too, cause they're such a big animal that you're thinking like, man, if I just walk around in these woods, I'm going to see them laying there somewhere. But I mean, once, once you lose that blood trail, it's like finding a needle in a haystack. And I mean, it's a big needle, but it's a big haystack.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and um, those, those elk, you know, they're so tough that even with a good vital shot, a lot of times they go further than I think they will. Um, Just like your bull, you know. Gosh, I see him go, even with a good shot on him, I'll see him go 300 or 500 yards before they die. And a lot of times that blood trail... You know, the first 50 yards or 100 yards of that blood trail can be really tough to find. And so that was your guys' case. You hit him, didn't get an exit, and he took off running so fast that he just didn't drop much blood until probably 100 yards in. And then you guys started to find that really good blood. But uh, you just did so much right on that hunt, like paying attention after the shot, CSI in the, the scene, you know, to try to find that blood. And ultimately that little drip of blood you found on that stick led you to that bull.
1: Yeah, and it's it's so, I, I mean, over the years, elk hunting too, I've learned that it's so important, even after the shot, just to walk, watch where they're going, because oftentimes, I mean, they're not bleeding right when you hit them, but you can see where they go into the trees, or a specific tree that they run past, and a lot of times, even if you can't find blood at that spot, you can pick up a track to follow that track a little bit to find the next drop of blood, but... When there's so many elk running around in there and you find a track, it's hard to know if that's the elk I just shot or what's going on.
0: Man, it can get really confusing, isn't it? And and blood trailing isn't all about the blood. It's also about those tracks, like you say, those scuff marks or the direction they're headed or the trail they're on. Like there's so much to it. And it's such like a underutilized skill or under talked about skill is that like being able to blood trail and sometimes just a little drip or a little drop here or there, or I've even been in the, you know, where I'm off trail and I'm gritting and I come across blood again, or, you know, just paying attention to that sign is so important. So I like what you said, like after the shot, um, just, you know, your adrenaline's rushing and you hit this animal, even like you, like you hit that bowl perfect or what you thought was perfect like, you know, you you almost can put it into autopilot or you don't pay attention. But just like you said, as soon as you shoot an animal, man, it's pay attention to where you're standing, where was the bull standing, which way did the bull run, what did you hear with your ears. Like all of those things will come into play as you're trying to unravel the mystery of this, this elk. And, man, I had a situation this year um, – where I shot this really good buck late season rut. And I was like in the middle of this sage flat. It was kind of like rolling sage hills. And um, I had this buck step up and um, executed a perfect shot or what I thought was a perfect shot. And then hurt, really thud that animal right in the right spot and watched him run off. And I thought, oh, that deer's dead, you know, because my shot executed right. I heard it thud. I didn't actually see where my arrow hit, uh, but I was pretty positive that I had drilled this, this deer. And um, I just didn't pay attention to the details. All of a sudden, that deer ran off, and I gave him maybe five minutes or so, and I thought, well, I'll go up and find the arrow and find blood. Well, I didn't mark the spot where I had been shooting from. I walked up to where I thought the deer was standing, uh, but in, and then I started circling around where the deer was standing, and then I couldn't remember where I had shot from. And, and ultimately, I could not find blood or my arrow wandering around in there for— Half an hour, and I thought, Oh man, well, he ran this way in the sage flat. I'm sure he's laying dead over here, you know. And it was towards the direction of where my dad was sitting on a vantage point. And so I thought, Well, I'll just walk over that way. I'll grab my dad, and uh, I'll probably find this buck on the way, walk into my dad. And if not, I'll bring my dad back. We'll find blood. And so, kind of walked over to go get my dad or whatever. Never found the buck, never found blood, grabbed my dad, and he hadn't seen the buck run around the hillside or anything. And I thought, well, dad, I I drilled this buck. I know I drilled him. He's laying dead over there. We went over and circled that sage flat where I thought I had hit that buck for an hour. Never found a drip of blood. And um, finally walked up on this vantage point and glassed down. And the buck had somehow made it by my dad's vantage point. He must not have been looking. It crossed a little skitter road and then died right there in the sage. And the buck only ran, you know, maybe 250 yards. And the shot was perfect. Double lung, halfway up the body, you know, maybe a touch high. But that buck just did not bleed or I wasn't looking in the right spot. So it just reminded me, like, Every shot, even if you think you nail them, even if you think they're dead, you know, man, just paying attention to those little details can really help you out when you're trying to follow up your game animal because shooting them's one thing. You also have to recover them, and, you know, with any weapon, you know, it's like anything can happen, you know, and so, man, it's just really paying attention to those details.
1: Yeah, and it's so easy when, after that shot you goes, to get so excited and forget what you're doing there. I mean, your adrenaline's gone, and... <laughs> just so easy to get distracted and think you just killed this great animal, but um, I mean, it's not over at that point.
0: Yeah. Well, like I'm super experienced and have killed a bunch of animals with my bow and I still have made that mistake this year, you know, where I, where I lost the spot I had shot from and tried to bring my dad back and circle around and man, we just could not find blood. I actually, after I found the deer, we walked up to this vantage point, point. I actually glassed him laying dead down there, which was awesome. But we walked down and found him, and then I, I uh, back-trailed the blood trail back, and he had started bleeding better after he left that sage flat or got further away, just like the case with your bull. But I followed that blood track back, and he really didn't bleed that good for a double lung shot. I couldn't believe it. I don't know if the buck was, like, dehydrated from rutting all night or— yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what was going on, but the 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 blood trail wasn't that good on that buck, and some shots are just that way. But I had an entrance and exit, complete pass through. I mean, my bloody arrow was laying there in the sage somewhere, and I didn't see it. You know, I don't know how it disappeared, but um, yeah, just like a you know, to your point, just like paying attention to that sign and everything is so important.
1: Yeah, it seems like sometimes to those higher shots. A lot of times they're just bleeding internally and it's not really coming out as much. So it's, it's really hard to find them when that happens.
0: Oh, you're right. Like the shot was halfway up the body or maybe a touch high, but you're right. I was shooting uphill at that buck. And so my, my, my exit wound was a little bit higher on that body. And I, I think you're right. That had something to do with it. You had mentioned about the cavity filling full of blood and I think that's exactly what happened here is he was bleeding through his lungs, but it, it wasn't shooting out both sides. It was filling that cavity first. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's, it's a, it's definitely another skill you got to learn. I mean, uh, I've ran into a couple guys and we actually have a guy here now that's, he's got some dogs that are trained to track blood trails and stuff like that. And so when I had chopped that bowl that night, I had texted the guys back here and we got back camp and told him that i got one and hadn't found it yet he was like all ready to load his dogs up and come out and try to help me find it and I mean, you're that's a six hour drive you're going to come out just uh i mean i'm sure his dogs would have found it in five minutes you know but uh they're uh it's pretty crazy the luckily in some of the states they're letting you do that now and if you have access to it i think it's a good option if you're if you're really struggling but um when you're that far away or that far back in the woods, it's hard to get some help to come out and do that for
0: you. Dude, those are that's a good friend. Um, and like you say, that's what I love about visiting your guys' office and running into you guys from Everly Stock. Is you guys, um, you live the creed. You know, you, you you're living the the outdoor lifestyle that you guys are designing gear for, and it just makes such a difference in the design of gear. Uh, I know those packs of your guyss are so durable um you know that that um y- you guys just build them to last, build them to pack the weight right and and I just absolutely love using them so man, um, that's where that vapor series is gonna be really nice is to to be able to tuck that that game in between the bag and the frame, I'm really excited to get one of those in my hands. Um, But I, but I do love the other packs uh, that I, I just can't get away from that guy. Your guys kite pack that you guys designed a couple years ago. I think Um, what a great day pack that thing is, man.
1: Yeah. I mean the, so the vapor series um, is kind of a cross between that kite and that
0: uh, little big top that we used
1: to offer. So, We've uh, started to phase out the little big top and the transformer, which were the two packs that we had originally designed to work on the mainframe. And those packs came with their own shoulder harness and hip belt. So you could use them as just a day pack without the frame, but these vapor series, um, they're not coming with the hip belt or the uh, harness. They're actually not even designed to be able to put a harness or a hip belt on it just because you can cut out a lot of weight um, by taking that stuff off and, um, and over the years, I think our packs have got a little bit of a reputation of being bomb-proof pack, but a little bit heavy. Um, and this is just going to prove to everyone that, you know, we can still build a bomb-proof pack that's two pounds um, to go on that frame. And it's, I think it really is going to be a big game changer. And a lot of the guys out there now have got the mainframes and are running the bat ones with us, which has been a really good sale are a really good seller for us. Um, And it's a small pack. I think the bat wings are about 800 cubic inches a piece. Um, And you can run two or ten on the mainframe if you really want to zip them all together. Um, Most guys are running just two on the mainframe. And and the cool thing about this Vapor Series is you can also use your existing um, mainframe and or bat wings with that Vapor Pack. Um, So if you get like the 2,500 and that's just not quite enough room for going for a three-day hunt or whatever. And you have the bat wings. You can zip the bat wings into the vapors as well and give you another 1,600 cubic inches and a spot in the middle still where you can pack meat and do that kind of stuff. So the cool thing is is that it's not some new pack that you're going to have to buy a whole new setup for. Um, it's a pack that's designed to work with what you already have um, and be able to really customize it to you, whatever you need.
0: Yeah, and interchangeable bags, you know, with the one mainframe. No, I think that's so killer. Um, that uh, uh, It's one of the reasons I like that kite is it comes in really light as a starting weight. So, you know, it's supposed to just be a day pack, but, you know, I pack a lot of weight out on that thing. If I kill an elk or a deer while I'm using that thing, it comes out with me, you know. And so um, that's why I've liked that kite pack. I actually used it this year. I was doing like this, this – kind of a bivy style for elk where I travel as lightweight as I can go with my camp on my back. And so I like my pack weight to be below thirty pounds. And uh, you know, part of that is starting with a a low pack weight, but it's also gotta pack the weight right. You can't just make a lightweight pack it'll just kill your back if you're trying to do a lightweight pack that isn't designed for weight uh so i would actually use that kite pack to kind of travel with the elk herds and just hunt with my camp on my back and it it was really successful for me and i ended up killing a really good bull doing it but part of that is just that low starting weight so that that vapor series being able to start at that low weight um Man, going to be a game changer for me for sure. Yeah, I can't wait to get one in my hand. So they hook right to the mainframe with like the zippers you're saying and then um, also the straps, right?
1: Yep, so you can zip it directly to the mainframe. And then if you are trying to pack meat or um, if you need to expand the capacity and put like a duffel bag or something in between the frame and the pack, you can unzip it and then just hook the straps into the main frame and actually expand the pack away from the frame to compress meat or a duffel bag or something like that in between the pack and the frame.
0: Man, how cool. So that I use that Destroyer pack a lot for like my expedition style hunts and things and I really like that one. Um so so that one um how, how many cubic inches is that Destroyer offhand, Do you know?
1: The Destroyer, I think's Around 35 3600?
0: That's what I thought it was. Okay, so yeah, it seems like a little bit tight for those 10 days. So that's where that 5000 and that 7500, and I think I could do just about every one of my hunts with the 5000 just because of my minimalist packing and um, uh, you know, smaller weight, but that 7500. It's so nice to have extra room in your pack. And it's so nice, like, um, you know, once you harvest a game animal with that, whether you're using the 5,000 or the 7,500, is that I don't got to try to tie all my stuff on the outside of my bag or strap it all to the outside of my bag so I can get a deer in there or an elk in there. Now, all of a sudden... I've still got that 5,000 cubic inches. I can get all my gear in and then I can uh, compress the meat in between that frame and that bag, just like you're talking about. So, I mean, it, uh, uh, you know, the, the possibilities are endless for this thing for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We've been working on some other accessories and stuff too. I mean, that, that mainframe's really been a top seller for us for the last four year, uh, three years. I'm trying to think when we came
0: out with that. For good reason. It, it packs the weight so well.
1: Yeah, and that I mean that thing's not going anywhere. We're still working on more accessories and different things to uh, go with it. So one of the things we've talked about doing is a big bean bag that'll activate well would be a cool option as well with the vapors. Um, they'll have, they will have that would have zippers on it so it would zip on not put the vapor on and you can zip it on and have it secure there that way um, and then compress the vapor over the top of it or the tube traps from the mainframe itself to go over the top of it and give you a real secure platform to put meat in. Um, so we've been working on stuff like that. I mean, one of the cool things with the growth that we've had, which has been crazy is just that um, we've been able to hire a lot of new guys that have different, um, I guess, different point of views. Like we've got a couple guys that are pretty tactical here. And then um, one of the guys we hired last year was a, uh, Designer fresh out of school. Um, And so he's been helping. I mean, up until then, Glenn was the only designer that we've ever had. And he's done a great job and all that. But now with um, Nate, he's been able to come in and really um, any ideas anybody has, he's able to put them on paper and we can show them to Glenn and say, What do you think of this? And then Glenn puts his two cents in. And um, it's just, it's been really cool to be able to have that. Um, option to develop new products so quickly and um, be able to get samples in and go test them and say, hey, this didn't work. Let's table that idea for now. We'll work on this other thing. Um, And then we can come back to that one later when we um, have a better idea or have more time to mess with it. Um, But the cool thing is that we've got a lot of new products that we're playing with throughout the year. and um, Hopefully, towards the end of the years, we'll be able to pick the two or three ones that are working the best and ones that we think we've got perfect and go forward with those and then work on the other ones that we've had going, and add different ones in and do that. And, um, with the packs and with the clothing, I mean, we've got, um, three new clothing pieces that are just about ready to launch. And I don't, I don't know when this is going to come out, but they might be up and going by that time. But, uh, we've got a new Parker that's coming in. Um, which is just a great heavy, um, parka that, I mean, it's a lightweight parka, but it's really warm. Um, so being able to throw that in your pack and having it for around the campfire at night, or if a nasty storm comes in, you can put that on. Um, and then we've got a new pair of pants, um, that are called the salmon river pant. Um, and they were originally designed as more of a everyday wear pant. Um, But as we've we've continued to work on them and test them, I think they're going to be great for not only everyday wear, but also for hunting. Um, They've got a lot more pockets and organization in them than our afterburn pants that we have right now. And then we have a field shirt that's um, coming as well. So it's pretty cool. And then we have some other clothing pieces in the works as well that hopefully we'll have out by towards the end of 2021 with just to fill out that clothing line more. Yeah. I think mean, it's going to be good.
0: Man, how cool. You guys at Everly Stock, you're just growing and evolving. Uh, but, uh, you know, by the minute, it seems like uh, I think it's so great to get that fresh blood in there. Like Glenn is so smart and such a great designer and has this great insight into hunting. But yeah, I mean, that's the truth of the matter is everybody has different preferences and everybody hunts different types of terrain for different durations. Like everybody's different in what they're looking for in a pack or in a design. So I I just think it's great that you guys bring in this young blood and have different perspectives. And ultimately, you know, us consumers are going to win from it, uh, you know, with you guys uh, sitting in that design room, designing different gear for us. So, man, I, I'm so excited to see some of these new products that you guys are coming out with. And your guys' clothing line is next level. Like, I don't know if it's got quite the recognition it deserves, but uh, you guys put a ton into this clothing line, like with the the the... The same durability, the same quality that you build packs, but you guys really did a ton of research on your fabrics and on performance and then, um, you know, also on design and on fit. I think you guys are building, a uh, really good apparel that, that works for us backcountry hunters. And, and I love, like, the the camo patterns, but I also love your guys' solids. Your guys' solid colors are just spot on for hunting out west. So uh, I think you guys are going to see huge growth in that apparel line, especially as you're starting to fill some of these voids with, like, that new parka that you're talking about.
1: Yeah, it's going to be really cool. I mean, we've learned a lot from those first pieces that we launched. Um, I mean, the clothing is definitely a different animal than the packs for sure going into that. And, uh, just the design process of that is completely different. So we learned a lot from that first, first round of stuff that we've done and or the first, um, models of stuff that we've done. And we had some size fit issues on some of that stuff, but, um, we fixed a lot of that, um, with the, with that old stuff. So the newer stuff, um, should fit more true to size. And then, um, the parkas and, the new pants and that stuff um, I mean it's it's crazy how many samples you'll go through and going man this isn't quite right let's change this a little bit and get that sample in and you're like well it's a little bit better but for the change we made we thought it was going to be a lot better so let's change it a little bit more and um, it's it's just crazy how much goes into those and changes those and the packs is funny too because Oftentimes we'll come up with an idea for a pack that we think is going to be great. and We'll take it into Glenn and say, Hey, what do you think of this? And he's like, Oh yeah, I, you know, I thought about that 10 years ago and uh, I didn't do it because of this. And this isn't going to work on that. So now, now, I mean, all the designs you can think of Glenn's probably already thought of those designs and he's either had a reason why he didn't do it because something wasn't going to work on it or, he just hasn't had the time to put into it to make it the way that it should be. So now with the extra help that we've had, we've been able to go back through some of those designs and he goes, yeah, actually I was going to do this. This is the I ahead of that product years ago. Um, and this is why it doesn't work. So now we can put some time into it and figuring out how to make it work and go from there. So it's pretty cool. I mean, we've got some new stuff and works for the tactical market as well. Um, and that's, it's, it's a really unique, um, company in the fact that we have so much support from the hunters, but we have a ton of support from the tactical community as well. Um, and we have a full line of both packs. Um, so it's, it's been pretty cool to be able to bounce back and forth. And I, I never was involved in the military or any of the tactical stuff. I mean, there's a few guys here that have been in the military, including Glenn, um, so they have a lot more background on that, but it's been really fun to be involved with these group of guys and um, go out shooting and learn different stuff than just the hunting stuff. I mean, I haven't, I haven't really rifle hunted much. I did rifle hunt for deer this year um, and shot a little two point in a two point only unit, um, but that was the first year that I rifle hunted in about 10 years. And I don't know, it's funny. I was like, eh, you know, I could get into this. We're going out shooting the rifles and was having fun, and then I shot that deer, and I was like, yeah, I don't know. The archery stuff is just way more fun for me. So, uh, I mean, I'm sure I'll rifle hunt some more. I got a son that's four and a daughter that's seven. So as they get a little bit older, I'm sure I'll get them out with the rifle, and I need to spend some time with the rifle um, going out and finding some new areas to hunt for when they get old enough to take them out. I guess I can take my bow with me too when I go do that, but just a little bit more sketchy when you're out there with a bow during rifle season.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, just back to Everly Stock. I'm just so impressed at the evolution. Like, um, you talk about the, the the apparel and improving it and improving on the design, the packs improving on them. And I, I think that's the the mark of a great company is to be able to look at your gear and be able to come up with the next the next iteration of it. You know, come up with the next version of it, keep evolving it to perform better. Um, so I just think that's awesome about Everly Stock, and one of the reasons why I'm such a huge supporter and then um yeah the the military stuff so you guys have had a uh, a huge role in the tactical side and military things for years and and really so half your market is hunters and then half your market is tactical right
1: yeah it's pretty close to that for sure
0: man that's wild and um you know and and their needs for a pack are different than a hunter's needs that they're out day after day after day like um you know i guess it it uh you need the same qualities in a pack but but they just beat up their packs so much as they use them nearly every single day so uh it's got to be kind of wild to design packs for both sides of things
1: yeah it, it is it's uh it's pretty cool too i mean i i think i get more emotional when i'm talking to a military guy and he's talking about a pack and how this pack saved his life or how i mean we had a guy a few years ago bring in uh Old gunslinger pack um, that had holes blown through it and this and that, and he had actually been hit by shrapnel when he was wearing the pack, and uh, I mean there was a chunk of shrapnel about the size of a golf ball in the pack that he said if he hadn't been wearing the pack it would have blown through, it, blown through him and probably killed him. Oh, so it's it's pretty cool. I mean that the durability of the packs definitely helps obviously with that kind of stuff, and I think that's. Um, that's where our standard comes from for the durability. I mean, hunters can definitely be hard on their packs and stuff, but you throw a guy a brand new pack going through boot camp and he can uh, he can really put some damage on that pack. So that's really where the standard for the durability comes from on some of those.
0: Oh, dude, I can only imagine. Those guys got to be so tough on their gear. Uh, You can't build anything but the most durable pack for those guys. They can't have it fail on them. Yeah. Oh, how cool, man. Um, well, you guys are doing such awesome things in the market. I'm so impressed with your packs. I can't wait to get this new Vapor series in my hand and get it connected. I'm going to go up and look at my mainframe as soon as I get off the the phone call. So, yeah, I can't wait to run that 5,000 or that 7,500. That's going to be really nice. But I'm just so impressed with what you guys are doing over there and and the evolution of, of packs and apparels and things. So, man, um, thanks a bunch for your time, Tanner, and being on the podcast.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate it, Brian. It's been awesome.
0: Yeah, and congratulations on that bull, that archery bull. Uh, It's fun listening to you talk about uh, rifle. As I've I've been bow-only now for a lot of years as well, Um, but I'm the same thing as I have my daughters in, in hunting. And they shoot bows and things, but when you're young, coming up shooting a bow, like killing something with a bow is so extremely difficult that it takes years of commitment and dedication and to get that dedication and commitment, you have to expose them to the hunting world a bit and, and give them a little bit better chance at success. So we're the same way. We work with rifles. We work on their shooting positions. We work at being proficient and being um, uh, being a good shot with those rifles. And then we go out and take part in rifle seasons. and And it's fun to be able to join in their success. You know. Also, my dad, he's a bow hunter, but uh, he loves to rifle hunt, and so I end up rifle hunting quite a bit with him or going with him trying to help out. Uh, and it is fun to take take part in those. And those rifle seasons, you're right, is that those, um, it's almost like a different set of challenges. And I do love the bow seasons, but uh, I also love these rifle seasons, and I'm the same way. I'm involved in, in them as well. But, yeah, it'll be fun for you with your kids growing up and uh, being able to get them involved in that outdoor lifestyle.
1: Yeah, it'll be awesome. I mean, I grew up rifle hunting with my dad from the time I could start hunting, which back then was 12. Or 10, I know. Um, but I grew up rifle hunting with my dad, and I harvested quite a few deer um, throughout the years with a rifle. And then uh, I didn't really start archery hunting until I was 21. Uh, I got an old hoyt bow from one of my... Um, family friends that he'd just given it to me and uh started hunting with that and from there I upgraded to different bows throughout the years and uh then my dad finally was like hey you know I still really want to hunt with you but uh it doesn't look like you're gonna be rifle hunting so I guess I better get into this bow hunting too and so it's been fun with him too because the last three or four years now he's got a bow and started shooting a lot and now he goes with us and it's it's been pretty cool to be able to teach him some stuff from the archery stuff or from the archery world after he taught me so much, um, growing up with a rifle, you know, so it's been fun.
0: Man. Uh, yeah. What a cool transition for you and your family. Um, man. Well, I can't wait to see that, that bull come out. I think it's going to be in the EBJ coming up. Um, such a great bull that you harvested with your bow and such a great story and um, tribute to your buddy that, that taught you guys how to hunt that place. So, um, man, well, I really look forward to uh, uh, continuing our relationship with Everly stock and uh, continuing my relationship with you. I, I, uh, all our show season has been canceled, so I don't know when I'm going to run into you next, but uh, we got to have a cold one the next time I see you.
1: Yeah, we got that event we've been doing for the last two years up in the, Frank Church backcountry. It's called Out There. And uh, I know Ike and Brandon came the first year, and then Ike and Scott came last year. And you have to get Ike to take you this year.
0: Man, absolutely. It looks like you guys are having a bunch of fun out there and a a bunch of great guests. I would absolutely love to. So I'm going to head over to the Eastman's office here in the next week or so. So, um, yeah, I'm going to be bugging Ike, and hopefully I can get my ticket come this year. Sounds good. All right. Right on. Good talking with you, Tanner. I really appreciate it, man.
1: You too. Thank you very much.
0: All right, guys. That's a wrap. Yeah, fun conversation with Tanner. I sure appreciate his time being on the podcast and uh, really appreciate the support from Everly Stock. Um, Just building great packs for a great price point that will do all the work out west. Um, I can't wait to get my hands on these – Uh, these Vapor Series packs. So uh, I'm sure they'll be showing up here. I've got a few to give away on the podcast. I'm going to give them to some guest hosts. And uh, I'd also like to figure out how to do a giveaway to you guys, the audience, and um, give away a couple of these packs as well. So uh, I'll get on my my paperwork here and get organized so I can give those away. And, uh, yeah, just really appreciate the support from Everly Stock and uh, building great packs. Um. With that, yeah, just uh, in this application season, just trying to figure out where my adventures are going to take place and get my name in a bunch of hats, and um, hopefully I'll draw some tags, and, and um, I just can't wait. Uh, it's going to be a fun season. Can't wait for spring and, and chasing spring bears with my bow. Uh, that'll be fun, so just getting my weapon all di- dialed in and getting ready for season, and putting in that training, putting in that work. Like right now in the off season is the time to improve. Uh, it's, it's not during season. It's it's not the last month leading up. It's right now of putting in that work, a, a getting better, building a really good cardio base, you know, th- that's getting ready for hunting season and doing a bunch of miles and a bunch of elevation. You know, it's, it's right now working with our rep weapon and improving our shooting and, and, and really working to the tune of those bows and, and getting the right equipment, the right arrows, and the right setup, it's going to help us be successful this next season. And so, uh, you know, being a public land do-it-yourself hunter, the work never ends. It's a year-round pursuit to be at our very best to be prepared for these mountain challenges. Um So yeah, I'm just so pumped for the next year and another season full of adventure and uh, can't wait to see what it offers. And I know you guys are in the exact same boat. Uh, That's why you're listening to this podcast. Uh, You share the same passion that I do for Western hunting. And um, so yeah, it's all about getting ourselves ready and uh, attacking this season and can't wait to put together this next solo episode. I'm going to put that together on the, the desert hunting, some lessons I've learned, and and just thoughts about my season and where I can improve and what I'm going to do to improve as well. Um, man, it's... um. I say it all the time. it's the toughest thing on planet earth, you know the the do it yourself public land bow hunts and to come out on top and it takes committing absolutely everything and it takes really working on our game in the off season and improving and um uh, man, being ready for the ultimate challenge. so I uh, really appreciate the the support at Everly stock. I appreciate the support from you guys, the downloads, shares on social media. Uh, the reviews, um, iTunes and different places, it all helps out and it helps make this podcast go. So I really appreciate you guys out there. And uh, with that, I'll check in with you next week, Uh, check in with you this week with a, an extra solo coming at the end of the week. Um, so yeah, I'll get that all said and done and, and released to you guys. And um, man, we'll just keep it pushing. So talk to you guys soon.